Good morning, church. I ask you to turn in the Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Unless something changes, that's going to be the last time for quite some time that we start with Philippians. We have come to the very end. And here this morning, we will conclude our study in this short New Testament book called Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. While you're turning there and finding that and gathering yourselves, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you all. What a big day this is. Uh, in, in my life. I, I find myself thinking uh, every year on Mother's Day that I need to come up here and just tell story after story about the, the mothers that are in my life and the huge, huge impact that, that they have had. Uh, in some ways, they deserve that. I know that God wants me to honor the moms that are in my, in my life. And when I, when I say that, I'm really referring, uh, first of all, to my mom um, and just how huge of an influence she has been, she was, and still is now. I cannot state enough. I cannot exaggerate or overstate how huge my mom has been in my life. I thank God for her, even now, um, for the huge influence that she has had upon me and the way God has used her. Then I think about my wife, Valeria, uh, and the wonderful mom that she is. And I just find myself so, so humbled and so grateful and so taken back at the huge lesson, the school that God has placed me in, being raised by my mom and now being married to Valeria. And yet, there's, there's a time and a place to just talk about them and and give insight to what I've learned from them and how they go about their lives and, and what's so special about them. Both my mom and my wife know that the secret to motherhood, the secret to womanhood is God. That Jesus is the center, that Jesus is the key. And for as much of a need as there is for us to brag on good moms, we are really to be about Christ, and mothers are to be about Christ. And so here today, I know that that's what we must do, and this is what the church is to be about. And so we are going to look today at the end of Philippians chapter 4. We are going to put our focus on Christ and his church. We are going to call ourselves to believe and to repent have God's word work in our lives. And in doing that, may God strengthen ladies to be godly women. May God strengthen men to be godly men. May God work in our lives and so produce for us stronger families and better family members and commitment to family as we study uh, the book of Philippians. Well, today's passage is the very end. It's just the final greeting We've gone through the body or the bulk or the, the main content of Philippians, and we've gotten to the end. And, and sometimes we, we really don't even preach these. We just mention them. But I wanted to because the Apostle Paul here brings up the word saint. He uses it twice in this final section, saint and saints, a plural version. And it's also how he began Philippians with a letter to the saints. So today's sermon is going to be about the saints. What is a saint? And I hope that we would wrap it up with some application toward parents, that we would desire our children to be saints. Read with me, if you will, the final three verses of Philippians 4. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. 
The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's the ending. It's a nice letter. Paul loves the Philippian church. He's the apostle, missionary, church planter. He's the one who started it. He remembers their conversion. He remembers their lives. He has a personal touch here. And he's writing this letter to them to thank them. This, I told you last week, that this is a thank you letter. They have been supportive. They have been a sponsor. They have given financial gifts to Paul. And so this is a thank you letter. In the midst of this uh, short thank you letter, he brags on them. He encourages them. He He builds them up. And now we've gotten to the end. Paul writes from Rome, and in doing that, he speaks about the believers that are there with him want the believers there in Philippi to be encouraged. And so he talks about saints here, saints there. He talks about that. But today, I want to really get at not just why he ends the letter like this, but just this word saint. I think this is one of the Bible words that gets a lot of use. We all know the word saint, You may not use it, it may not be in your speech or vocabulary, but we really don't focus in on what is is a saint biblically. There are a lot of answers to these things. When we start to ask, what is a saint? I'm gonna give you a couple different answers. There are a lot of religions there are a lot of people in uh, the, the, the discussion of God that describe a saint this way. That a saint is a faithful, deceased person who is now in heaven. You may have been godly, you may have been religious, you may have been devout, but you don't become a saint until you, in that faithful state, pass away, and then upon going to heaven, you become a saint. There are lots of people that believe that way. There are people watching today who think that's what a saint is. That is not right. That is not right. There's another category, a more practical one, that says a saint are holy and most obedient people. Described like this. It is a special holiness that many religious people have and many religions recognize in certain special people. You may hear somebody say like this, oh, they are a saint, right? And they're describing just how uh, 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 pious they are, uh, how good of a person they are. They are looking at them and their lifestyle, their, their, their good works to recognize whether they think that person is a saint or not. That gets a lot of use. We know people that talk that way, but that is not correct. The biblical understanding of a saint is a true believer in Christ. When you read the Bible, A saint is somebody who trusts in Christ for salvation. A saint is somebody who trusts in Christ for salvation. They are a believer in Christ. When we think about Mother's Day, we know that there is a need in the world for good moms. We know that. We know that we need good moms. And a lot of times, you can see deficiencies in a person's life owed to the fact that their mom did not teach them that. Their mom was not present, and they are lacking in this area or that area because uh, a mom who did not do her job. 
And so we know that moms play a huge role, but I want to allow moms to relax this morning. I want to remove the burden of a mom for thinking that all the pressure is on her. For as much as I needed a great mom and I had one, listen to me, there are things in my life, there are things in my heart, there are things in me that the best mom in the world could not fix, could not answer, could not provide. And if you're sitting here today watching this sermon Oh, that you would admit that. That we would not blame our moms so much anymore. That we would not still hold bitter and anger and resentment toward our moms. But that we would look deeply inside of ourselves and we would say, the best mom in the world cannot fix what I'm feeling and what I need. I need something more. I need Christ. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And the Bible tells us that there is a way for people who are convicted. There are people who have guilt. There are people who feel empty. There are people who are in need, people that are broken in their sins, that they can find that answer by being in Christ. Look back to Philippians 4. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, refers to brothers and sisters, refers to believers who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you. And you look at, at the beginning, you look back at the beginning of Philippians, verse one of chapter one, he writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. What he's meaning is that to be a saint is to be in Christ. And so you may be asking right now, well, I go to church or I've tried that or I'm obedient. I try No, no, no. We need to understand that the Bible has a beautiful category for being in Christ. And you don't get yourself into Christ by any record, by any track record, by any good works. You don't. You get yourself into Christ by surrendering and believing. More accurately, God flows his grace into your life in which you see your need for forgiveness. You feel convicted of your sins and you cry out to God saying, God, forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he is the answer. And when God is doing that inside of us, we now find ourselves in Christ. We believe him. We believe that God has become our father. We believe that he loves us. We believe that he has received us, welcomed us. We believe that we are his. We believe that we are in Christ because of God's love, forgiveness, his salvation. Those people are saints, according to the Bible. They are believers in Christ. So if we look back at the end of Philippians chapter four, he says from where he's at, for everybody in the church to be greeted by him. He says, hey, let everybody know. Greet every saint. Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about all the believers, the whole church, the Philippian church, the ones that he knew when he was there, the ones that have just been brought into the church recently, the newest converts, right? Those who just got baptized. Everybody that's a part of that church, greet them. Tell them I say hello. And then he says, all the saints that are here with me, they greet you too. So he knows that there are believers over here and there are believers over there and they all love each other and they all want to greet each other. We're all in this together. This is what the Bible teaches a saint is. So it's not those who've been faithful that have died. 
It's not those who live the best or live upright the most. It's not those who uh, walk the best or have the, uh, the best works. Not at all. It's those who are in Christ. And if we're being honest, we start looking at the body of Christ and his people. At times they are obedient. At times they're disobedient. At times we are a good example to the world and at times we're not. At times we have to say with Paul, I am the chief of sinners. At times we have to say, forgive me. Hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. At times we are that. But our hope and our hope alone is Jesus. And that person who so clings to Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection, who turns to Christ in repentance and says, I need you to forgive me, God. That person is a saint. And that's how the word of God describes a saint. May God use this sermon and this introduction to a sermon to cause us to speak about saints in a better way. I think what happens, at least in my life, is that because we know of some bad examples of people using the word saint and some bad ideas of what a saint is, we don't actually hear the word that much. Perhaps you've never used the word saint in a good way. May we start. Maybe the next time we get to go to church, we say, I'm going to gather with the saints. That doesn't mean the good people. It doesn't mean the bad people. It doesn't mean the dead people. It means those who hope in Christ. It means those who believe. I'm going to meet with the saints. Me and some saints are getting together to pray. That's what the Bible says. So if that's what a saint is, then here with the rest of our time today, I want to give you six characteristics of saints in the Bible. Six characteristics of saints in the Bible. And, and, and throughout this, I will mention Moms and Mother's Day. Number one, saints are church people. There is absolutely no mistaking this. Over 60 times in the New Testament in English, we have the word saints. And it is, without a doubt, talking about the setting and context of church life. The book of Romans begins with the saints in Rome. The book of Corinthians begins with the saints in Corinth. Second Corinthians begins to the saints in Corinth. Ephesians begins to the saints in Ephesus. Philippians begins to the saints in Philippi. Colossians begins to the saints in Colossae. Thessalonians begins to the saints in Thessalonica. Even in the book of Philemon, when Paul writes to this brother about the tragedy that's happened in their church and there's been an offense and somebody has stolen and fled, he writes to him, he writes to Philemon and he says, hey, I know you love the saints. Even in a personal letter from one man to another man about an opportunity to exercise forgiveness and restoration and all that, that short little beautiful book of Philemon, two times he refers to Philemon's relationship with the saints. He loves the saints and the saints are refreshed by Philemon, right? It is clearly a church word. You go back to the book of Acts. Before we even get into these letters to the churches, you go back to the book of Acts, and it talks about them gathering, and this is happening, and they are uh, church meetings, church gatherings, church worship services, and when you see the discussion and the mention of saints, it is almost always referring to the church body. Number one, saints are church people. There are some ways that you can find yourself just, uh, justifying or trying to talk about what it means to be a believer in Christ without church, without the body, and yet not if you want to use the word saint, not if you want to be biblical. 
You want to go now and do a Google search of the use of saints in the New Testament, and it will give you every one of them. You will find yourself in a deep, deep, deep study of church. You will. I get to coach a lot of ball and got three boys, got two girls. They, they've been on a lot of ball teams. I try to coach as many as I can. And a lot of times you end up with the same kids year after year. And there's this one boy that I've loved and I've coached him. And he's a, he's, he's a good kid and all of that. And I remember about last year sometime I was out in the back of our church parking lot, not sure what I was doing. And he rode up on his bike and it was cool. And I was glad to see him. I had not seen him riding around here. I didn't, live, I didn't know he lived close enough to be able to ride his bike. And so I'd coached him. He said, hey, what's up, Coach Josh? I said, hey, man, how are, how are you doing? I said, hey, we're, it was a Wednesday. I said, hey, we're about to have church. You want to stay for church? I mean, there, there'll be a lot of kids here. I think you'll really enjoy it. And he said this, my mom says we're not church people. And I tell you that story because it hurt my heart. You see, the influence of a mother on whether somebody becomes a church person or not. I want you to hear it from my lips right now. It's not my biggest desire for you to be a church person. A church person is not necessarily a label that you find in the Bible, but a saint is, a believer in Christ, a hope in Christ is, and there is a connection there. Saints, those who treasure Christ are church people. I was in a discipleship group this week, and a man who was 50 years old, we were reading the Bible with a couple guys, and I was asking, hey, well, what do y'all think this is about? Would you? And I heard a 50-year-old man say, well, my mom always taught me that this is what that means. A 50-year-old man opening up his Bible in a small group outside social distancing, I promise you, chairs scattered in the parking lot. A 50-year-old man with his Bible open going, and I'm saying, what do you think this is meaning? And he says, well, my mom always taught me that this is what it means. Can moms have an impact on church people? Can moms make a difference in the life of the saints? Absolutely, they can. Number one, saints are church people. Number two, though, saints are set apart. We're going to get a little technical right here. What does the word saint mean? If you know anything about uh, other languages, then you've got a tip on this. The word saint means holy. The word saint means holy. We're talking about being holy. What we mean when we say that somebody is a saint is that they are a holy one. And that's why you see so often the common use of somebody that seems very obedient or very good or very upright. That's why you would call them a saint, a saint because they seem to have a holiness about them. And that is partly correct. It's not fully correct in the sense of the Bible because when the Bible calls us saints or holy ones. It's not meaning that we are holy from man's view in which we observe each other. There's an element to that, but it's not the biggest uh, aspect. It is referring from God's eyes. From God's perspective, we are holy because we are in Christ. To be in Christ means that his blood and his work on the cross has removed all of your sins. He has washed you clean. You have been made new. To be holy in God's eyes means that as your sins have been forgiven and washed away, the righteousness of Christ has now been put on you or put in you or covered you up. And so when God sees us, he sees his son. He sees holiness. He sees righteousness. He sees complete obedience. Not because we have it, because his son does. And by faith, we are in Christ. Remember that phrase? We are in Christ. And so 
What does saint mean? It, it means to be holy. It means a holy one. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be set apart, to be other, to be different, to be on another level that is not like the common level that is not holy. It means to be set apart. And here we have what it really means to be a saint. Set apart. Getting at different. Getting at not the same as those that aren't saints. Not so much because they're so good, not so much because they're so obedient, but because they have God. They have become holy in the eyes of God. They have, listen to me, they have been set apart, put on a different path, a different tra trajectory, a different road, a different destiny, a different eternal life. They have a story. They have a testimony about them. They have a testimony about God. Every person who has been set apart from sin in Christ Jesus is a saint. Every person who has been set apart from sin in Christ Jesus is a saint. This is what happens in salvation. And at times we are still uh, sinning and we are convicted of that. Our response to that is a different response. It's a set apart response, but that's what it is. And here we get to see the, the, the good idea, and that's what I meant by technical, the very definition of what a saint is. It is one that is holy and is set apart, and that makes all the difference. If we start talking about motherhood, we start talking about people, women, who care so much for their children. They desire the very best for their kids. They want the most for them. It is unbelievable, unbelievable, and at times overwhelming to observe how much a mother wants for her kids, how much she desires for them. And when you start to consider all that a mom feels and wants and desires in her children, it automatically carries over into what are the kids like and what are they? And you will eventually hear this type of talk. And I know you've heard it before. He's trying to find himself. She's trying to find herself, figure out life, trying to figure out who she is. If that carries on for too many years, you might hear them say, oh, they're still trying to find themselves. I know they went down a couple of the wrong roads and got caught up in a couple of the wrong crowds or whatever, but they're still trying to find themselves. And you see mothers feeling for their children, wishing that they would have that identity. And often good motherhood is represented as the one who simply just wants the best for their kids. But listen to me. By the very definition of what a saint is being set apart, it lets us know that we cannot set ourselves apart. There is no mother out there who can want so much for her kids that she puts her kids in position to be set apart. The only one who can set us apart is God. The only life that can be fulfilled is the one in Christ. And so we find people that are in their teens that are looking for an identity and in their 20s that are looking for an identity. And we find people that are in their 50s that are looking for an identity and they'll say, hey, hey, I've been uh, up and I've been down. I've been through this and I've been married a couple times. But, and I'm still trying to find myself. And we, we, we picture somebody saying, I cannot find myself. And I think to myself, it's because we find ourselves in God. Nobody knows us as through and through as God. For as wonderful as a mom may be, there are things that she cannot do on the inside of us. She cannot feel the holes inside of us. Only Christ can do that. 
And we see this by the very definition of saint, holy and set apart. That's what God does here today. If you are looking for yourself, if you hear me say, try to find yourself and you would admit, that's me kind of, I'm still trying to find myself. Look to Jesus, believe he will receive you. He will forgive you. He will let you honestly admit everything you have about yourself and he will make it complete. He will fulfill you. Number one, saints are church people. Number two, they are set apart even by definition of the word. But number three, if they are set apart, what are they set apart to? And so I'm gonna give you two things here. Number three, they are set apart to hate sin. This is what we see happens in the life of the believer. It is not so much that God makes us good. It is that God changes the way we feel about our sins and about our shortcomings. This is the great work of Christ. This is where we know that the supernatural, spiritual work that God does in the life is a real thing because there are people who used to love their sins and now hate their sins. There are, you, there are people who used to not be bothered by their sins, but now they are so convicted by their sins and even repentant of their sins. When God sets somebody apart, he, number three, causes them to hate sin. At the same time, number four, in setting them apart, he gives them a new love, and that is to love Jesus. Number three, we hate sin. Number four, we love Jesus. And these become, listen to me, the defining characteristics or traits in the life of a saint. Listen to me. The defining characteristics or traits in the life of a biblical saint is that they hate their sins and they love Jesus, their Savior. It is not all those other things which are good but are not the answer. There are a lot of ways you can go in your life and in this world that's good, but it's not good enough. There are a lot of ways you can go in this world and in this life that is good, but it's not godly. The defining characteristics in the life of a saint are that we've been set apart, we hate our sins, we've been set apart, and we love Christ. If we want to talk about defining characteristics, we, we, just in a, in a very short consideration, we would hear things like, well, he's a good guy. He's, he's, a, he's a good man. He does well in a lot of ways. We would hear mothers say, well, just do your best. It doesn't matter if you're good or bad. Just make sure you do your best, right? And we love to say things like that. But at the end of the day, they fall a little short. They're a little bit shallow, and those are not the answers. The answers are, how do you feel about your sins? What do you love deeply? On your deathbed, what's going to comfort you? When you're struggling, what's your hope? What is your heart's? deepest desire and comfort. And so number three, we are set apart to hate sin. Number four, we are set apart to love Jesus. That's what saints do. That's what the biblical saints do. Number five, saints are praying people. And I want to be totally honest here this morning it's hard for me to preach this because even as I make this point, I'm bothered by how many people I know think they are Christians or say that they are, but they don't pray. 
I, I mean, they don't pray. They say that they pray, but they don't. And, and this is so uncomfortable to admit that even right now, as you watch this, you are maybe thinking that you're a saint and you don't pray. As I was preparing and studying this and just searching the entire Bible for all the uses of saint to get what are the characteristics of them, I was shocked at how many times we have the word saint or saints in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter five, that scene around the throne, the lamb, the lamb that has been slain and the lion that has conquered, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the worthy are you, worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy are you to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, tongue, people and nation. In, in that passage that we know so well, you get this in verse eight. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. It's talking about all the redeemed there. It's some, it's some flowery language and imagery there, but it's talking about all the redeemed around the throne worshiping Christ. And notice what it says here in verse eight. Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. And you think, well, what in the world is that? Look what it says here at verse eight. Which are the prayers of the saints. When God gives us a picture of heaven and all the redeemed in heaven worshiping God, that beautiful, diverse group of people in every language, in every place, in every skin color, which is the people of God, which is a beautiful sight around there worshiping Christ. When God gives us that, one of the scenes is all of the prayers of the saints. That's not the dead people in heaven. That's not the good people on earth. It's those who have sought Christ because they so need Christ those who are in Christ. It's those that pray. If you turn over from chapter five to chapter eight of Revelation, you'll hear this. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God. Revelation may be complicated at times, and there are scenes that are so uh, symbolic that at times we think, what does that mean? But one thing that we know what it means is that saints pray. And when we get to see worship in heaven in the book of Revelation, we see that saints are praying people. As a church, we want to be a praying church. For as odd or, or, or boring or cold that may be at times, we want to be a praying church, which means there are going to be times where in our service you just hear us praying and praying for a long time. There are gonna be times where we have a service here where all we want to do is pray. And I want you even right now to consider why is it that you will not take part in that? Why is it that you would not come to a prayer meeting or a prayer service? Why is that? Is it because you don't pray? Would you humble yourself to the point of admitting to me or somebody else in, in your life or in our church and saying, I want to pray. Will you help me pray? Will you teach me to pray? The Bible describes saints as praying people. 
as we've had many opportunities to pray over the years here at our church with lots of prayer meetings, even twice a year we do the 24 hours of prayer, I've had the great privilege to pray with lots of different people. There have been so many times where I've said to somebody that I've never prayed with before, do you pray, do you know how to pray, do you pray out loud, will you pray, are you comfortable with praying, all of that, and they've said no, and they've said yes, they've said I'm fine, yeah I will, or I'd like to learn, all of that. I've been through all of that. And I remember one time I was praying with a man I didn't think he knew how to pray. I'd never heard him pray, but he prayed. He knew how to talk to God. And there's not really a right or wrong way to do it, but he did it. When we got done, I said, man, that's awesome, man. Where'd you learn to pray like that? Listen to what he said. My mom taught me to pray. We used to pray so much growing up. She prayed with us all the time. Mom, do not, moms, do not Underestimate the power of you being a praying mother. Pray for your kids. Pray with your kids. Pray when your kids are present. Pray when your kids are not present. Saints in the Bible are praying people. And lastly, number six. Lastly, number six. Saints endure. Saints don't give up. Saints don't quit. They don't say, I can't take it anymore, and then stop taking it. They persevere. It is a characteristic of God's saving work in the life of a saint that what he called them to, he will empower them through. Will the road be long and hard and Full of suffering? At times, yes, it will. Will the road be marked by seasons of us going, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This is not the way I would have planned it. This week on Wednesday, I talked to a man in our church whose dad died away, died this week, and he was not able to see him because of the coronavirus. That's hard. This week, I talked to a lady in our church whose grandmother died from the coronavirus and she was not able to see her. They would not even let them see her dead. They won't even let them see her in the casket due to the coronavirus. I don't even know if you can pass off the coronavirus if you're dead. But it reminded me of just how unfortunate life can be at times, thinking, I don't like this. There are many seasons in the life of the believer that we do not like. But over and above those weaknesses and those discouraging moments is the presence of God that gives us a peace which surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to never give up on our Savior. He is guarding your heart and your mind to stay in Christ. To say, whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth there is nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
saints have been placed in Christ. They are secure there. They will endure there, and they will persevere there. As I showed you all the prayers of the saints in Revelation, let me end by showing you all of the perseverance of the saints in Revelation as well. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 10, we hear, If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Revelation 13.10. You turn the page to chapter 14, verse 12, and you read this. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. When we talk to you about what it means to be a saint biblically, we are talking to you about the most fulfilling and rewarding thing that there is. You have become a child of God and his love will keep you forever, but we will not soften it up to say that it is not full of downtime and suffering and questioning and all of that. But in the midst of that, we hear God say he gives strength to those who are weary. He empowers the saints. They will endure. They will persevere persevere, they will last. Number one, saints are church people. Number two, they are set apart, holy, different. Number three, they are set apart to hate sin. Number four, they are set apart to love Jesus, the defining characteristics in life, in the life of a saint. Number five, saints are praying people. Number six, saints endure. Times may change, The world may change, but our hope in Christ alone does not change. Moms, I want to to challenge you here today to not just desire the best for your kids, but but for you to desire for them to be saints. That they would know Christ. They would know about Jesus. They would know who he is. They would know what he does. They would know how much he will receive them, how much he will forgive them, what it cost him to forgive them of their sins, that their sins cannot ultimately ruin them with Christ if they will trust in Christ, that God forgives their sins, but that we would be moms that emphasize what it means to be in Christ, what it means to believe, that we would do this over and above, doing your best or being good, or being the best version of you, but instead to be a saint, to trust Christ. Moms, I want you to hear that God uses moms. He does. Listen to somebody share their testimony and notice how often you will hear them say that my dad or my mom talked to me, they influenced me, they led me, they prayed with me, they pointed me, they forgave me, right? They instructed me, right? God uses moms, He uses moms to make saints. He uses moms to build up saints. He uses moms. In the middle of the service, in our scripture reading, we read from Proverbs. Proverbs 31, the most familiar passage in the whole Bible about what is the virtuous woman. But what people often don't know, because we begin at verse 10, where it says, an excellent wife who can find, what people often don't know about Proverbs 31 are the first nine verses. And the setting of Proverbs 31 
is a king being taught by his mom. Here is what verse one says of Proverbs 31. The words of King, of king Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So this great passage in Proverbs 31 about what is a virtuous woman is not what some man said. It's not what some king said. It is not that. It is what a mother taught her son. That right there is enough to really shape how you view it. It's not just what our holy book says. It is what our holy book says as a mother taught her son this. And as you read that, you find yourself getting a grip that she cares for him. And she cares for him in the very best way. She cares for him the very best way by pointing him to God. Mothers, if you want your life to count, take one step further than trying to be a mom who has good kids and point your mom and point your kids to what it means to be a saint. Saints are those that believe in Christ. Because we need him. Christ is the savior. And he is the only savior. This Mother's Day. May God empower moms and women. Men and fathers. And every one of us. To put our eyes on the salvation. That comes through Jesus alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you. Thank you for the way Paul ends. The book of Philippians. By mentioning the saints. Saints in Rome, the saints around the prison ministry, the saints there. Tell the saints in Philippi, hey guys, we greet you. Father, give us this term, this, this category that we've not used often of the saints, the holy ones, the people of God, not because we're dead and in heaven, not because we're good with our obedience, but because we are in Christ. And in him, we've been forgiven. We've been made new. We've been given his good, holy righteousness. Father, I pray today that many, many would consider your salvation. Father, that you would lead us to repentance, that we would cry out to you. And God, even now, as anybody listens to this, would you cause them to trust in Christ? Father, there would be no better way to embrace this Mother's Day by asking ourselves, are we a saint? Am I a saint? Father, give us conviction. Lead us to faith. Give us these new defining characteristics of life that we hate sin and we love Jesus. Father, do that work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.